Okay, Comrade Spanger, we are <laughs> we are we are moving into Karl Marx. Oh boy, with our critic with our critical theories talk. It's, mm. it's been a bit of a break. It's taken some time. It's been some time. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to tell people that we've been translating Das Kapital from German to English. So <laughs> so now we know we're ready. We're talking we're, about yeah, now. Yeah, we're ready. So we're it's finally not that we've been wasting our time. No, no, no. We're actually in it. Yeah. Um, but as this conversation of critical theories, yeah. um, you and I find even as we're teaching more and more, we need to unpack things like. Kant and Hegel right. and Marx, just for students to sort of make sense of the zeitgeist they're living in, sure. because people don't realize it. Um, and and today we've kind of moved this up. We last one we did together was Hegel, hmm. uh, and I think the next sort of iteration in this critical theories, as we're calling it, right. uh, genealogy is sort of Feuerbach, Marx, right. that right. type of thing. Right. Uh, and and what's fascinating to me. Uh, as, as someone who grew up in the Cold War, we're the same age, both groups, is after 1991, we're still talking about Karl Marx. Right. We kind of thought that would yeah. die with the Berlin Wall. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, it's, it's, we're still talking about this. We're, we're still dealing with this, yeah. even though what you had thought his economic uh, ideas, well, right. they failed. Right. So right. let's move on. Right. Like, what, right. Is there something like we don't keep talking about feudalism? Right, right. So why do we keep talking about Marxism? Right. Um, and so I thought that would be helpful. Conversation. Yeah, that's good because I think you know what we've you know if you go back to Cold War, you could very easily confuse communism circa 1960, 70, right? See so Ho Chi Minh, North Vietnam, communism. Yep. With Marxism. Yep. And even what people called Marxism, they were thinking in terms of you know red stars on flags. They're probably thinking Leninism more than anything yeah. else. But you use the word Marxism because it yeah. was so There's tough. very few people jumping up and down for Stalinism. Yeah, right. yeah, there were. But usually they were either paid to do so or they're going to get dropped off to a gulag exactly. if they didn't. Yeah. But yeah, I think you're right because the term it doesn't make sense, which is a good point, Mark, because when we say cultural Marxism, which yeah. like when we talk critical theory, that really confusing for people yeah. because you say, well, I don't see in a cultural Marxist anybody talking about you know, forcibly relocating property and, you know, and, and sort of the same, same communist ideals. But the point here, and I think this is what you and I recognize, is that what Marx taught specifically, mm -hmm. maybe that's not the same, but there's an underlying worldview that Marx communicated that's tied to Hegel, yeah. which in fact has endured yep. and is as much alive now in the West, in American, many intellectuals, yep. as it was, let's say, in Russia circa 1916, 1917. Yes. Right. Yes. And, we, and I think what Mark and I, Dr. Draper and I want to do is get at that. What is that? What is that underlying current? Don't, don't confuse. Yeah. You think, well, Stalin's gone and the Berlin Wall's down. Marxism is dead. Maybe the economic version Dr. Draper just mentioned was yes. talking about you know, uh, mode of production, and we'll talk Cuba's about what that Cuba's holding means. on. Right. right. But there's actually a worldview, a way that we see, and, and Mark and I both agree on this, it's probably impacting all of us more than we think it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'd like to think Marx isn't impacting, but I think that's not true. No, and I, I think that thing, too, uh, as, I, as I teach this, as I think through this, I, I keep coming back to, why is Marx so dang appealing? Right. I mean, it's... it's a, it, you know, in college, he was appealing because it was avant-garde, right, right? right? You know, you, you sort of looked hip to be in the coffee shop reading Das Kapital. Right, right? Right. You know, that, that, you, you weren't reading Adam Smith. That was so bourgeois. <laughs> right, uh, right. But, you, you know, you just, what is this? Why is this? This just won't go away, right? right? It, it's right. still so appealing. Um, and I think we need to get into that. Why yeah, it just yeah. won't go away. Right. Why this is still important. And. And some of it is that Marx saw some things right. that that we still haven't figured out. Right. Right. Uh, and again, he was reacting to modernity and 
we're not necessarily in modernity anymore, but we still are in, you know, global capitalism right, today. Right. So that there could be some of that. Um, so I and I, I I'm I'm I've been helped by listening to some lectures on on Marx and this idea that you almost have to look at two Marxes, right? Mm -hmm. That you have the the Marx we know, the the communist economic Marxist, and then there's this young Hegelian Marxist mm -hmm. who really really does. Uh, a lion's share of work of unpacking that concept of alienation. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that young Hegelian Marx taken with the critique and method of mm. the economic Marx, I think that's what we're dealing with today. That's yeah. what people are using today. Yeah, that's a good point. And for, for reference, when Marx saying young Hegelian as a technical term, it yes. doesn't just mean that he was a Hegelian, he was young, but it was in Germany where... Hegel had taught this, what we were talking last time, this rationalism, idealism, yeah. that history is forever marching by the light of reason or God's evolution or whatever. History is marching certainly on towards an ideal. And so that, that's what idealism is. History is actually the ideal. The young Hegelians coming out of Feuerbach in yeah. Germany were arguing that, yes, history moves towards an ideal, but it doesn't require a God to do it. Yes. Right. What's the line from, he what line from Feuerbach is... God is not divine. God is the divine we make him into. Right? Correctly. It's, right. we, we feel the divine ourselves and we project it on God. So what you get resulting from Feuerbach is this idea that time marches on progressively of its own dynamism. Yes. Of its own internal divinity and power. So you get progress inexorably, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Predictably. But you get it without a God. And he, and Marx is learning that. Yes. And becomes known as one of the young Hegelians. I'm yes. using quotes there. Yes. And he ends up getting kicked out of Germany for sort of that atheist And of position. course, Marx will go even further. And it's not so much we create it, but we've been... Uh, he'll go so far as to say even your idea of God, it's it's all been some sort of control. Right. Right. It's it's this bourgeois oppression that even got you to think right. there's right. a God and that you need this and, and this type of thing. Right. Like he's even more radical. No, than, that's than, true. Than Feuerbach. Yeah, no. Feu and, and Marx rejects. In fact, he's got those whole essays on Feuerbach, which yeah. are really fun to read um, because they're short little snippets. Yeah. Um, but his point he's exactly correct. His point is that Feuerbach, Feuerbach rightfully got rid of the God of Hegel, but then he tried to turn mankind into a creator. Yes. Of things. Yes. When what Marx is going that step further and saying man is not a creator, he's a created. Yes. From the socioeconomic conditions. Yes. That the march of time creates in mankind all. Yeah. So that's, you're right. You get to that Hegelian perspective of Marx, that young Hegelian. Yeah. That's the root that I think you're right is probably a thing that endures from Marx till now. Absolutely. It's the later day Marx with capital there's some of that around but it's that early stuff that's more powerful so it, it's funny as, as as a as a cold war baby mm. uh it, it is surprising to me the first red dawn the, the actual red dawn right we're gonna surprising go surprising to me that that today it is actually common to hear people refer to themselves as a marxist yeah i mean you know, we all knew there were newspapers like the Socialist Worker and stuff <laughs> right, like yeah. that in the seventies and eighties, but no one, maybe underground, no somewhere was calling themselves <laughs> yeah, right. a Marxist, right? It was, or maybe in the academy, yeah. we knew it was there. But now you you, you will hear activists and, and this type of people right. who say, "I'm a Marxist," and it's it's a it's a badge of honor. Yeah. Um, which, of course, like I said, after the Cold War, we thought, well, yeah, they'll be go they're all gone, right? Capitalism um, won. Fukuyama said. Yeah. Francis Fukuyama said. Yeah. History is over. Capitalism won. Get over it. It's the end of history. End of history. Done. End of history. And 
So Not yeah, so. so let's let's talk a little bit about uh, that young Hegelian Marx because sure. he's the one that we're still encountering today, so. right? Yeah. And so, um, what, what do you kind of say his influence is? What's he doing there? What's yeah. Marx doing? Yeah, I think what there's. It's very complicated. One thing we'll say as we launch this little conversation is we're dealing with something vastly complex. Absolutely. In a very short period of time. Now, the other thing to say about Marx is he was extremely naive also. And we, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll talk about that. Naive about moral law, naive about power, naive about revolution. Um, if he had lived long enough in the 20th century to see that his ideas did not lead to utopias most often, but dystopias. I mean, he, he, he would have probably been a gulag in Stalin's. <laughs> right. He may have recalibrated his thinking. But, but I think there are some things that you can, you can make out. And I think in, in, in the view, so let's go back just for a minute too and say what's the other way to rationalize, let's say, the Industrial Revolution that's starting to happen. You rationalize it with this concept like natural law, that, that there's a God and he has this absolute standard and you're trying to shape law, property laws, all around what you think God, there's, a, there's an absolute. Whether it's God, whether it's platonic, there's something absolute. And so you look at history and you look at everything the countries are doing, you evaluate them on are they holding the standard? Yeah. Well, this, this government, England, property rights, but they're not paying attention to labor, and God says we ought to do that. And so you try to rationalize, as all humans have, in the West specifically, around some sort of absolute. And Marx, and Hegel has sort of developed this, is reason. Yep. Hegel, and then Marx comes along and goes, I, I think all of that rationalizing and all of those absolutes are just constructs. Yep. And this is, this is a sexy thing to say, right? You can say, all the best analysis of what's morally right in society are not legitimate, authentic, or creative. They're really just the results of yeah. your place in history and yeah. your time. Yes. And if that's the case, then the people that are making the moral laws, let's say in the church, let's say in society, government, government, they're not doing anything authentic. All they're really doing is expressing to you the socioeconomic conditions that have made them. Yes. And the, and the morality is nothing more than what's needed to buttress that economic reality. That's right. That's right. right. You reinforce, right. So let's say, let's let's get down to brass tacks here. Let's say we've got someone who's, let's say, let, let's do a small pastor in a small town, middle class, uh, New England, raised, trained, you know, middle class person's always had a little money. And they come to the pulpit and they're saying, hey, don't lie, don't sleep with other women. And you'd say, wow, that guy's got a bead on a religious truth. Yes. Mark says, no. Right. His ideas are really just the result of being middle class at that time, having those parents and that much money. That's right. So you say, well, how do I evaluate what the guy's saying? Do I take his ideas and compare them to the Bible? No, the Bible was written by people. Yes. In his socioeconomic conditions from time. And he says this not in Communist Manifesto, but another essay. And I think it's to me the best capturing of that early Marx. Yeah. And is this, your entire consciousness is the result of what he called your mode of production. Yes. That means your tastes, your sense of humor, your philosophies, none of that is legitimate. Right. All of it is the result of an external circumstance, i.e. your socioeconomic condition. Yes. It's all environmental. It's all environmental. Every bit of it. Which is part of what I'm arguing against in my dissertation. Because <laughs> the Marxist historians oh, right. yeah. would look back at the 19th century social right. reformers and say, there's no liberation here. This is... Right. Uh, now, again, you see they... they that system has trouble for them when they look at the abolitionists. Hmm. That's hmm. where it gets complicated hmm. because it's like, well, wait a minute. Are they really going against their social class if right. they're willing to go after slavery? Like, shouldn't right. they Are be... Are they just results of their social class? Yeah. Shouldn't they actually be reinforcing slavery? Isn't that a... You know, wouldn't hmm. that make sense? Why would you be against this if there's not something right. else outside the modes of production? Right. Um, 
Yeah, that's but, that's. But where... I mean, it's, but th- this is this is the wonderful. Right? I think Leo Strauss says this: the most wonderful thing about Marxism, it's a tautology that can never be disproven. So uh, you say as well. How is the abolitionist? Well, the abolitionist must be the product of their time yeah. and reinforcing their own class. So then what class were they part of? They're part of the white industrial class That's as right. slavery. Therefore, what they said was reinforcing industrial classism. That's right. And slavery is holding up industrial class <laughs> right, and holding exactly. up progress and holding up technological right, right. advances. Yeah, Which you advances can get there. So, right. So here's this wonderfully dynamic tool you have. And to your point, what's so enticing about Marxism? It always gives you a tool to tear down yes. right, any moral authority or cultural authority by being able to show it's just a conspiracy of class. Yes, which in a sense is also a faith assumption. Right. No, that's because what Because how do you get one. to right. that? What I think maybe what 91 showed us is that Marxism does not make a very good constructive <laughs> right. tool. Right. 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 It's, right. it's Excellent you, point. you know, you, you're not going to use this to put the studs up. It's only good to take the studs down. Right. Um, isn't that the exciting thing to be fringy to be against to be the what who's the cool cat in the 1960s absolutely. the anti-institutionalist absolutely right? absolutely yeah. in fact, i just heard i was just listening to a podcast the other day and was talking about young people today so our, our gen mm. z's and was comparing the difference between say the boomers mm. and was saying you know like gen z's aren't rebelling against their parents mm. the way the 60s did like right. you know if, if you were going to um if you were going to rebel against your parents today you would tuck your shirt in, right. you know, any, things right. like that. Yeah, right, like, right. You, you wouldn't have a cell phone, right. right? You, you know, you wouldn't have Netflix. Yeah, you'd actually cut your hair short. And... Precisely, <laughs> like, like, so, right. So in the '60s, it birthed that sort of piece, and I think there is maybe now, if there's a, if there is a rebellion, it's well, I have different colored hair, or yeah, I, you yeah, know, yeah. I, I have pride pins or whatever. Yeah, but yeah. even that, in in in, uh, it's not as if Gen Xers don't do the same thing. Right. Right. So, right. Uh, it's, it's it's a different thing. It is. Now it let is. me ask you something, Doctor Draper, because we started, we jumped into this young Hegelian thing, but I don't think we've done is connected about to Hegel. Yes. Okay. So what? So so in this young Hegelian, where, where we've got this guy looking at what we call this materialist dialectic, where the entire everything about you, which you think is maybe spiritual or soul or individual, is just it's not unique. It's entire production made by society. How is that Hegelian? How does maybe not that one part, but how does? How does Marx capturing some of these Hegelian yeah, ideas yeah. in this in so this moment? In some ways, he 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 critiques Hegel as much as he uses Hegel, true. right? Yeah. So, what he doesn't like about Hegel is Hegel's not materialist enough for him, right. right? So he has this uh, this ultimate spirit, you know, that, right. that that absolute spirit, and how that absolute spirit and us are kind of working out our consciousnesses together, right? And so there's a there's a there's a transcendent to Hegel. In fact, right. one of the authors I was reading said, uh, scholars aren't sure whether Hegel was an atheist or just uh, a quasi-Lutheran. Right. You know, he, right. you just yeah, couldn't yeah. tell because yeah. he, he, he just didn't give you, he didn't tell you that. Right. So I think when you move to this next sort of uh, stage with Feuerbach, in particular with Marx, the rejection from Marx, I think, is that trans that trans uh, transcendent yeah. sort of yeah. mystical stuff. He doesn't want any of that. He right. doesn't have any space for that. Right. But what he does have space for is what I would call that sort of secular post millennialism, hmm. hmm. in the sense that history is right. going somewhere. That's right. Right. Yeah. So that's really important, um, and that it's in stages. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, here's here's something that can boof just blow your head out. 
But you could also see, uh, since we have some some listeners who are from the evangelical world, <laughs> in some ways, even dispensationalism has the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. And then you always have to have this cataclysmic event to go to the next dispensation. <laughs> right. In Marxism, right, it's going to go, That's and then right. you have this cataclysmic event. And so what you get in, what he does take from Hegel is that as you advance, there's always going to be a catastrophe, a tension, a fight. Right. So there's that. Right. What we call um, the dialectic. Yes, but he doesn't like the word dialectic. Yeah. You know, he just, that's for what he doesn't know how to explain something. It's dialectic. <laughs> right. um, the other thing for him that, that Marx will take from Hegel, uh, when he's got that idea that things are moving into a direction, uh, but, but he'll also take um, uh, Hegel's desire for some sort of freedom and liberation. Mm. Right, so I think he sees that as mm. well. We, if we move this into the right space, we'll kind of mm. get this. The other, the other, the other big thing that Hegel that he gets from Hegel is the use of history. Mm-hmm. How yeah, you right. use history. Now, yeah. again, he's a he's a historical materialist, and he makes that move where it's all material. Right. Right. We don't have the, the 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 spiritual pieces, but this idea that you can look to the past. And you can kind of see, get yourself a a model of how things progress. Yeah. And, yeah. and then you can start to push that into the future right. and, and right. how that's going to work. So I think that's an important piece. The way right. he uses history, uh, he again, he, he, he divorces it from any kind of mystical Hegelian stuff right. like that. Right. It's much more earthy and crunchy for him now that the, the history one yeah those are those are all i think those are three of the essential parts of marx really and so i think you, and that nailed it and i think the idea of this history we could look we could spend time analyzing each one of these to see how it's impacted us yes but the idea of history that that it that it is really a pattern that only we can see yeah so when we look back to to rome we see an early step of a class war where they were just you know you know just um empowering their their ownership class against you know the the lower classes against the plebes or something where we put on them a, a historical process they wouldn't have recognized correct at all yeah, that's right? a great point right but we see the pattern and then we look back and go oh you guys were just promoting all of this inequity because you weren't smart enough you weren't forward thinking enough and you and you think how much is that part of our consciousness i think even the christians have this weird view that like greeks were great but they were so ignorant they didn't realize that yeah. there were poverty and wealth they didn't understand there were classes understand there were genders like they just were they were backwards but that backwardsness got a little less backwards with rome which is a little less backwards with the church which is a little less backwards so you see this progress and then once you pattern the progress you go oh i know what we need more equality going forward and this is how you do it and it's all going to happen and there is this and and you we see it all the time now dr draper that there is this absolute faith that the next thing is the best thing. Yes. Not just in iPhones. No. But I mean, the next thing in liberty, the next thing in equity, the next thing in whatever yeah. is yeah. always the better thing. That's a fairly new concept in human history. It is. It, it, I mean, it's. It, I think you can say it, it's sort of Hegelian. That it is, right. That hangs on. Now, and it's, it's post-mill. We well, you have some post-millennialism <laughs> stuff. No, I was about to say that, right? But the, the difference, say, with that, say, with, say, an Edwardsian post-millennialism yeah. is that there is an orchestrator. That's right. That has a clear teleology, a clear stopping spot, right? right? right. Go read Revelation 21 and 22, right. boom. Right. Hegel doesn't have that. Right. Uh, Marx doesn't have that. Exactly you know, right. Marx has a little bit of sort of a, a, a um, with communism, yeah. right? That that can, but even that he doesn't explain very much. That's right. That's right. Um, so that's that 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 plays into it, and then, but I think you you 
you go back to this sort of futuristic way of looking at things, mm -hmm. things keep getting better mm -hmm. and improving. You're right. I, I think that is very much a product of the 19th century. Mm -hmm. and, and again, I'm just in our conversation here. You know, is that one of the trump cards to the Marxist thing? Well, Marx, aren't you just a product of Hegel? Right. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like you, you're just assuming right. that this is going this way and that it's going to to move into that. Um, that's that's sort of right. the the t and I think today what you have is you might have people who are Marxist in one way in that they yeah. they want progress. Right. On the other hand, they're pretty skeptical that it's going to happen. Right. Um, and I think the other thing too with postmillennialism is is that would be say similar to Marxism is that we've got to make it happen. Yeah. Right. We got to play a part in it. Yeah. Less so in postmillennialism. In Marxism, you got to make it happen. Yeah. You have to make this process yeah. happen. Uh, it's it's and this is another piece I think that separates Hegel and, and Marx. Hegel is a uh, he's an idealist. Mm -hmm. Marx is a pragmatist. Yeah. Or pra he's pragmat uh, pragmatic. Yeah. Or he Practic you know praxis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. It, it is having ideas it's doesn't not mean ideas, anything. It's ideas is action that matters. Right. right? right. You need actions. Right. And that does it. Well, you know, and that's true. And here's a subtle here's a subtle point where I would say I see a lot of continuity between that Marx and who we are now. And that is if if progress is an absolute historical certainty, because that's the other thing that, you know, you're right. Hegel's got this idea where you got reason driving it. God in Edwards and the post mill guys for Christian in, in Marx. It's an it's an automatic part of human nature and the, and the universe and the world as it is. Darwin, in yeah. a sense, it will automatically improve and progress this way. What happens if we stall? And, what, and what's interesting is it's not so much knowing the mechanism of how we get forward, but they know when it's not and who to blame for it. Yeah. Because if we're not moving forward and all of nature is trying, then who's holding it back? Yes. And why? And I think what you get from Marx, and this is, I think, the real power of Marx, if I could say the, the sexy quality of Marx, is that it's always everywhere looking for the person stopping the progress. Yes. Who is it now? Is it the nationalist? Is it the capitalist? And listen, Mark, we, we know this as just being intellectuals. It is fun to find what's wrong with people. Yes. It, you, you can find flaws with everybody. So if you were empowered by your worldview to say everything would move forward if it weren't for the flaw of that leader or that company or that government, yes. you can write tomes, you can point fingers. And, yeah. and if anything is defined our culture this day is that Marxian faith that this would all be better if it weren't for that X. guy. Right. Yeah. Fill, yeah. In the, fill in the X. Yeah. That I mean, industry, our political that dialogue. Company. You know, it's in that regard, you know, the Democrats could say it'd be better if the Republicans weren't here. Right. Or the Republicans could so, say, yeah, that, right. you know, that, that, that even that, that desire, that, that sort of love affair with checks and balances now just seems Go to on. get in the way. Right, right. Because in some cases we've, we've, we've imbibed some of this Marxism. But I, I think um, the, the, other, the other piece, too, that I think is hugely different, say, from Edwards to Hegel to Marx is, again... Hegel, we're not sure if Hegel's an atheist. It really is hard right? to tell. You don't know. And and, and and the absolute spirit is, is and reason sometimes can right, almost be confused. like the Logos, right? It's just kind of floating out But sometimes there. it evolves and sometimes it's yeah. absolute. Sometimes but, it knows where it's going and sometimes it doesn't. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right, right. Where for Marx, where, where for Hegel, there's there's still this idea that there's there's something what you might call reason or something that's working itself out. Marx really believes we create the truth. Hmm. We create right. the morality. Yeah, that's right. So in other words, yeah, this might be wrong now. This might be seen as wrong that's now. Right. Fix it. 
But we can fix it. Right, that's right. We can make it right. That's right. But who? But you fix it only by fixing, and this is, I think, the real drama of Marx. You fix it only by fixing the socioeconomic categories you live in. So, right, you want to fix morality, change from industrialism to agrarianism, agrarianism or yeah, train, yeah. you know, change from a, a consumer economy to a sharing economy. And then somehow, once the social structure changes around you, that's right. bingo, the people change there, and the moral values change. And I think this is where it goes to this revolutionary concept that you have to change the structures and the systems. And we hear a lot about that as modern yes. world, right? This idea, the structuralism and structure and structural injustice systematic. Because the point is, if you don't fix the system and alter that, you can't change the person. If you want to change our morals, yeah. just change the system and the structure, and that's right. bingo, we're going to get changed to the that's interior right. person. And, and, and so this is another sort of departure, Marx and Hegel. Hegel did give the state a lot of props. Oh, my. Right. Almost divine. Marx doesn't. That's true. Um, he sees it as just part of the context, exactly. the, the, the complex. Yeah. Exactly. And so now as Americans, that's difficult because the government did have to outlaw slavery. Yeah, it yeah, did have to yeah, pass the civil yeah. rights laws. It did have to do those things. Uh, but then there's plenty of things that the government hasn't done. Right. Uh, but I, I think that that idea that we are, we are going to make truth. We're going to yeah. make morality. And, yeah. and, 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 and and this is where I think people start to step off from Marx a mm. bit, is it's too economic for him. It's mm. too monocausal. Right. It, you're saying it's all economics. And while economics is certainly part of it, and we can start to look for some of this, mm. uh, you know, even Freud will play in this with sexual repression. Yeah, yeah. What else is out there? Right. You know, how else, what, what other social structures are out there yeah. what else needs to be liberated right right and and i think that's that's probably more of where marx has been used Absolutely. today than than like i said everyone wanting to yeah get out their hammer and sickle flags and olive drab outfits no you're you're share no that's bread. no that's exactly that's exactly correct i as i've talked with students i i say that that's the one part of Marx you don't realize you probably all have imbibed. Yeah. And that is that the moral values that you have are really constructs handed to you by your society and your system. So you become critical. We'll get to that word later. But and this is the Freudian point, right? Even your desires that you feel are yours are really inspired and moved by an interior id ego that you have no control over. Yes. That happened because someone said something to you when you were a kid or you're attached sexually to your mother. The point is the, the individual is no longer the agent in these things. Right. And this is... This is where I think Marx has its greatest influence is that the individual is now a result of economic conditions, whatever we mean by that. Right. And he's no longer an agent that actually can make dynamic changes. And I think for a Christian, this is hard because you have to actually imagine that you're, let's say you say don't lie or don't have sex outside of marriage. You actually, without even labeling to have these ideas that you believe are the same since Moses said them and you're saying them, you would both say it and mean the same thing. For, For Marx... They, they can't have the same meaning because the socioeconomic conditions around them, the class, the weapons they yeah. use, the words they use, the, all the conditions around them are different. So he means something than you do. Yeah. So to really be a Marxist in that regard, everything about you has to be conditioned by your external world. In which case, until you fix the external world, we can't actually make meaning of those words. And exactly. It's like, and, you know, Marx even saying, what does the utopia look like in sexual ethics? Marx says, I don't know. We're not there yet. Right. Right. We could be saying sleeping around is wrong now. We could find in utopia that it's okay. Yeah, we, there's nothing because we, we can make say. it. We haven't made it yet. Exactly. We haven't created those because we haven't fixed the system. No, we haven't fixed right. the systems right. yet. Right. Yeah. So it's 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 it's. Hopeful. So how do you get from the early Marx to the later Marx? 
And, and what does it mean when you say later Marx? Yeah, when I say later Marx, I think the earlier Marx was the guy who really put alienation together, right? Uh, go, the, go back to that concept. Yeah, yeah I think that's a I big think one. That, so for, for Hegel starts this idea, right? right. This idea that, um, that the absolute spirit and, and, and we, uh, our consciousness, are, are alienated. And that we're they're not where they should from be from something natural yeah. to who we well, are. Well, we're automatically alienated because the ultimate the the spirit is uh, is alienated from us, yeah, and we're distance. alienated from the spirit. So there's already that, and then there's the alienation that we experience in our developing of our consciousness mm. because we might not feel like we belong in this space. Mm. So, you know, so I say like let's say you live in a society where all marriage is illegal, mm. but you want to be married. Well, you're experiencing a sense of alienation mm-hmm. because you from can't the be circumstances from the, and from, from the, the society, yeah. and 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 so part of the dialectic is to is for the, the to to change that right and create a new synthesis where marriage is acceptable mm. to everybody, and it can't be just marriage is tolerated because for Hegel your uh, sense of consciousness is reinforced by the community around mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm. So if the community around you says, well, you can get married to that person, but we're going to leave you on an island somewhere, <laughs> right. that won't work. Right. You will still feel a sense of alienation. Mm-hmm. And, and Marx is going to take that, and, and he's going to really go with that. Uh, and, and move Again, the alienation for Marx mm-hmm. sometimes is that economics, right. Right? right? where the economic system is alienating you. And it and this is why you feel repressed. This is why you why you commit crime. Why you like, exactly right, right. exactly and and so he's going to take that and move that into the economic sphere. Right. Uh, that, that again, if you fix the systems, the utopia really is end of alienation and right. rarefication. Right? right. That's that's how you know you got there. Right. right. Nobody feels alienated anymore. Right. And for for so so the so the the older marks. And again, I think what we talk about Marx as if like he had one idea. When rather right. you actually go deeper, it developed. Yeah. Uh, you read his stuff, you can see where he like hit dead ends and then stopped and turned around and started going looking for a different cause. Mm. I mean, if you you compare his say Paris manuscripts to Das Kapital, they're very different. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, but I, I think that alienation piece is something that just stayed with it. And mm. so even the people who will move beyond Marx when it comes to economics will still hold on to that alienation idea. Uh, And and some scholars today would say, you might be better to see some of the, we'll talk about these later in a later podcast, the critical school, Mm. critical theory, Mm. Frankfurt school, as somewhat more Hegelian than Marxist in Mm. that way, Mm. right? Mm. So that's, that's a, that's, but that idea of alienation, I think even go back to the post-millennialists, they also had a sense of alienation, mm. right? The alienation begins with the fall. Yeah, right. Right? And, right. and, the, and the story of history is God mm. uh, undoing the alienation, right. right? God's taking the initiative in undoing the alienation. Right. So it, it's there. Right. Where Marx, for Marx, also too, the alienation can't be Hegelian mystical, Right. And it certainly can't be post-millennial Christian. Right. It has to be crunchy material. Yeah. Right? Everything in the room, the material stuff, the material world is what's creating yeah. this sense right. of alienation. Yeah, and that, and, that, and I think therein lies probably one of the great 
the great powers of the Marxist movement, and this is where probably a Christian would feel it most poignantly, I would think, is to say you have an idea about justice, let's say, or an idea about morality, and you're really convinced of it. And you say, I really believe that this is right, you know, you whatever monogamy, whatever that is you're holding on to. But then you live in this body and this physical world that feels like it's pulling you. And we say, well, there's sin yeah. and you're wrestling, but you would be best to like let go of your sin and grab onto God. What, what I think Marx ends up saying is the historical condition. You need to be reunited yeah. right, with the historical context and simply allow that to develop. But, but we're always, and it's getting better, I think, for Marx. We're progressing. So way back when, there was polytheism, right? And that was right. like, you, your historical situation really was demanding equality, but you couldn't do that because you had these ideas about inheritance and you know descendants, and you had to obey your great-great-grandfather and die with honor. Right, right. And then you become a monotheist, and you really should be living for equality, but you have these ideas about priesthood and you know or theology that eventually the desires you have intellectually in your material condition yeah. i.e what he's thinking the natural progress of equality yeah. will slap together and you will no longer be alienated yes. and where this i think falls for us as christians in our world we want to say i want things like I, I want to feel like i belong and i want to feel equal but i have these moral responsibilities so let's say interiorly i, I would like to just sleep around but I also don't have a moral responsibility not to. So I'm at odds with myself. And a Christian can explain that by saying, well, you're dealing with sin. Marx would say you're just dealing with alienation. Exactly. You're, you're allowing these false moralities yes. to impact you when the historical tensions just can bring you along. Yes. And they will they will wed these things together. in the. Now, he does it more with production values. I know yeah. Marx is doing other things there. But, but I think what you're saying about alienation is a really important concept because that idea that your desires... Yep. And your moral responsibilities at odds is a very key concept in our what we call our postmodern or critical world. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, so today, if if you uh, have uh, gender dysphoria, you have a sense of alienation. Right. And so, what's causing that alienation? And and is it just the rules that have been made in the past? Right. Right. Uh, you know, and what is interesting too is if you you go back into the twentieth century. Uh, and really the Cold War and World War II helped someone like Reinhold Niebuhr, yeah. who starts off really a socialist. Mm. Uh, you know, he's not a full-blown Marxist, but he's definitely it's more of a socialist. But by the time he lives through World War I and World War II, he actually starts to become more Augustinian. Mm. And, and he's taking evil seriously. Like, no, this is not just... Right. The system. There's something else going on here. Yeah. There's something broken entity, in humanity. Reality, yeah. Right. So therefore, once you say, but wait a minute, Carl, humanity's broken. Right. I think that's maybe where where, where Reinhold is, is gonna come down. Right. right? right. Where you no, know, actually humanity is broken. Right. And they can't just move okay, the system I, around. Okay, that's a great that's a great point, Dr. Draper. So let's say how would you say and let's 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 put marx back into this other hegelian framework let's use darwin as a, something that maybe people can get their hands on better than hegel um, let's say does the does the lizard who can't fly yet say he's broken right 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 right, right. or does he just need to be carried along by the by the evolutionary forces until we get birds and eagles and vultures yeah and, but but when you say broken i think that's exactly when you say broken you already have a transcendent reference point exactly yeah Right, you wrote, and this is this Niebuhr's coming there, right? Saying I can explain the the bad parts inside by saying we just haven't we just haven't evolved enough. Yeah. But our, when and this is I think where this is where I call Marx very very naive. So when you see the the absolute carnage of World War One, you say ah we're just not evolved enough yet. We just we just haven't grown enough wings to figure out how to deal with complex human situations. Yeah. 
Well, boy, that's that's hard to say for the 22 million people that are lying in body parts across Europe. Or is this just that this is the dialectic working it's itself out? It's just working itself out. It's just evolving, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, you're right. I don't I don't think the lizard could be blamed for not having wings, but I kind of want to blame Europe for World War One. But if I do that, aren't I invoking a moral authority here and not just, well, that's the condition they were living in yeah. and the alienation they felt. I want to say, yeah, but there's an absolute standard that calls that evil, whether it happened in 1914, 1814, you know, well, 1014, yada, yada. Could you even be concerned about the working poor of London in 1848? Unless somehow Christendom had influenced your thinking right, about right, equality right. and what is right and wrong. Exactly. Because Aristotle was not a Marxist. <laughs> right. right? He, right. That, that's how it works. Right. Right? That's that's the hierarchy. There's people who are natural slaves. Like, right. you know, that, that's it. So in some ways, you know, the even the Enlightenment was tainted by Christendom. Right. Right, right. The, the, this the way they thought the categories right. they're operating right. with. Right. They didn't just wipe the sh the slate clean right. and start over. Right. They they still were playing with a framework. So I think there's there's something to that. And I think what what I think you get to a Niebuhr, the reason he can't really be a, a Marxist and or a socialist even is it might sound okay that we need to change the systems, but what happens if the people who are trying to change the systems are right. also deeply flawed right, right and every time they change the system they think they fixed it they've just created three more new problems right, right exactly. i'm not sure i can go with the dialectic any right, longer right, right? I, I no think that's, I, that's exactly right and i it, think this is exactly what machin in his christian liberalism makes the argument yeah. when he says for the liberal and he actually is thinking of the marxist because that's the term he's using time for them history is god yes so 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 history will fix this and yes. there's this belief that as long as we go with the flow of progress yes Trust us, this all work out. Boy, that's a naive thing to say. Maybe now you might believe that, but that's just because we haven't gotten there yet. But could you say that in 1910, 1912? I don't know if I could have said that in the trench in 1917. Right. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, you could say that thinking it was, but then you might be critical of history by 1914 and go, oh, I don't trust this process anymore, right? Yeah. I'm not sure this is actually working. But, the, but it's funny. You, I think you make a great point. The reason why you'd say I don't like the process is because you have been given a transcendent value. Yeah. And this is the this is the thing I think where Marx has 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 like a sleight of hand. Yeah. So the the sleight of hand for me for Marx is the ideal is real. So yeah. he's not a nihilist. He's not right. saying anything goes. You want to kill someone? No, no. But the ideal is only at the end of history. Yeah. And once we get there, it's going to determine what's right for all time. So in other words, yeah. I become the moral arbiter for nineteen seventeen and yeah. ten fourteen yeah. because yeah. now I know far better. Now, unfortunately, those poor saps didn't know because they were yeah. trapped in a bad time. So the, the sleight of hand is, I'm not a nihilist because there is an absolute transcendent value. It's just what history will finally produce. Well, but how useful is it if we can't know what it is? There's also, he's out of both sides of his mouth there, right? He wants to be historical materialist, yet he still has some notion of a transcendent. Exactly, exactly. It's not purely, I'm not sure you can actually get to a purely right, crunchy, right. materialistic worldview. right. Without some idea of well, this is what's right. Right, exactly. You know that this is this is what makes this well. Okay, or what progress. makes this right? Yeah, like or I should have the better. right to do this <laughs> right. or be this. Right. right. Okay, based on what? Based on what? Right. Yeah. What right. what tells you that? Because really, right, like you said, Marx isn't sure how he this is sure. going to work out. And this and this is where Marx become the power of Marx is. I think you said this earlier in our conversation. Is his power to critique? Yeah. It's his power to tear. You're right. The, the, the Marxists have yet to build a functioning system. 
but they are amazing at pointing out every single flaw in every other system. Yes. Right? Because they can say, oh, you're talking about morality as a pastor. Oh, and then yet you're doing this with your money, and yet you're driving around BMW, and yet yeah. you had this affair. And all of that to say, there is no transcendence because everyone's a hypocrite. Yeah. Because really what they they say transcendence, what they mean by it is, I'm just trying to protect my bourgeois status. Yes. But I'm going to come out and say morality. And you know something, on that front, I get it. Like, you yeah. can critique anybody. But the point is, and I think this is your point, based on what transcendent are you are you judging them? Yeah. What, what's like, the ideal you're hoping that they keep? Because you're saying because you you in this you are automatically saying oppression is wrong. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Show me that T square. Right, right. Where's that? Because right Aristotle get the didn't level have out it. on that one. Yeah. Aristotle didn't have the same T square. Right. Yeah. Right. Oppression was just the system. Right. So you're right. There's there is in a weird way we have found a Christian nugget in Marx. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in, in in that regard, how do you know this is right? right. What makes right. this right? What makes this wrong? Right. Again, you can sort of you, you get that story of Nietzsche, right? Like uh, crying when he sees someone beating a horse. Yeah. Right. Well, why, why? are you crying, Nietzsche? <laughs> like little power. You know? Right. Right. But but so yeah, you 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 can see sort of the the, the hypocrisy in some of that. On the other hand. You can you can look at Marx when he says religion is the opioid of the people, when when religion is not concerned about the oppression as well. Yeah, yeah. maybe he's on to something. Yeah, yeah. That that's a critique you've got to take. Right, right. And say, yeah, I'm more concerned. Maybe I am more concerned of constructing my faith in such a way yeah. to protect my bourgeois values than I am yeah. actually dealing with oppression right. or. Uh, I've used this example, the case of the American Civil War. People will use Christianity to support the status quo right. and actually come up with a hermeneutic to defend it. Right. And then other people will use it to right. attack it right. um, and go after it. Right. Uh, again, you can, you can answer this from a purely Marxist yeah. way that both right. were looking after their interests. Right. And, th and therein lies, a, if, if we're going to be in, so let's go, let's... Let's get to brass tacks or doctor trip yeah. where we always intended to go, which is how do you negotiate living yeah. in the city of man? And this is what I'd say to, to my students. And I was doing this back when the Cold War was still a fresh idea back mm. in the 90s. Mm. Um, young people kind of knew vague sense of what it was. Say, what do you think of Marx? And, oh, he's just evil. And you go some places, Marx, he was, a, he was a prophet. I could say, well, Marx has something to say to us that's helpful. In other words, he's got some criticisms of unjust practices that I actually agree with Marx yes. on. Right? The abuses of the labor poor in England, yeah. that he's writing back for the New York Times about in the 1840s, yeah. right, and reporting yeah. back, I gotta say he's onto something. But here's where you have to, like with anything like this, right, I think this is wisdom, is knowing what dosage is safe. Hmm. Like there's a safe dosage of Marx to say, I'm willing to criticize injustice, but I am not by doing it, and I think you've used this phrase for on board in the yeah, process. Yeah. The Marxian framework that all morality mm -hmm. is the result of context. In other words, how do you do this? Someone commits a crime, what's, what's involved there? They were treated a certain way. Zootopia is my favorite example with students, right? You got this, this, this fox, or I think, he's, I think he's a fox, he's a carnivore anyway, who wanted to be a cool kid and fun, hang out with all of the herbivores, and then one of the herbivores called him a carnivore one day, and now he's become a carnivore. And so why is the fox so bad now? Because someone told him he was bad. In other words, mm. all morality lies in the context. Mm. All morality lies in the historical framework. So when you see someone doing something bad, you go, what made him that way? Yes. Now that, that's a viable question. Yeah. But the scripture asks another question. What is his heart like? Yes. And that is not always simply the result of context. So what's the right, and, and, and I don't know what you want to, what you think about this, Dr. Draper, but 
what's the right amount to take marks in? A willingness to critique when I see injustice yeah. and be honest about it, even yeah. if it's people I don't want to critique, including myself, by the way. But where does it become dangerous? I think at two points, when one, we accept the framework, yep. that in fact, morality is nothing more than context. Yep. And when I look at his positive solution for things, which there is, it is. There it achieve is. equality it's, it's, and this is all go away. He might be a good diagnostician. I just don't agree with his solution. Right. I can't agree with right. his solution. Right. Right. And in fact, I can't even agree with him as to how we got to this problem. Now, right. can he diagnose there's a problem? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, pretty effectively. I'll give him that. Right. I'll give him that. He could diagnose, he could see that this is a problem. He didn't know how to solve it. Yeah. And, and and the way he wanted to explain how it became a problem was is not going to help either. Right. That's right. Uh, which is why he can't build That's anything. That's right. Right. Uh, right. It, it, it's so it's because what he so desperately wants to do is explain this entire situation in that closed system that's right that's right he, he that's i can't right. know the transcendent it's not even i can't know it Kant would just say we didn't know it. it's not there it ain't there it ain't anything, there yet anyway anything that's transcendent we made it that's right, we right. except it. except oppression we know yeah, that's somehow wrong. yeah somehow that broke it's through. a natural constant i guess speed of light which is no longer constant but and, but anyway so yes yeah. i think that's that's really part of it and so i think the negotiating is we can read Das Kapital. We can read this thing. We can hear some of these yeah. things. And we can say, yeah, you're right. It, there, we need to take our lumps there if we are using religion as an opium, yeah. an opioid of the people. Yes, yeah. I think that's a fair lump. Uh, it, it should not be that. Um, it need, it, to, you know, I, I was saying to somebody today, uh, you know, if, if, someone, if someone finds out you know, that they, they have stage four cancer, this is not the time to go up to them and say, you know, God works all things out for the, that's not the time for that. That's, that, that's not going to help the situation. And so I think that's, that's what we see here, right? You, you you have to take it at a hand. On the other hand, I think we also need to realize while he might've been a good diagnostician on some of this stuff, we also have to realize that his ideas can be used in ways. That's right. That's right. Again, part of you are onboarding, uh, or you're you're onboarding, and sometimes I think you're marrying things. I think, you know, I think today there's almost some sort of Hegelian Marxist hybrid mm. uh, that wants to say that you know God is still speaking, right? Still evolving. Yet it's all social structures, right? Yeah. Okay, what's God up to in that? Right. Um, right. And and so that and I think the other piece too, maybe as Christians particularly from the evangelical side of things, we've talked about sin in a very personal way. Yeah. We talk about salvation very so, yeah. in a personal way, and we talk about sin very personally. And we don't look at the effects of sin yeah. and how it ripples out right. further than that. Right. Uh, and, and Marx could see how oppression rippled, rippled out, out, right? right. You know, right. He wouldn't use the word sin or even right. evil, but oppression right. to him, that was no, the biggest And, and that's a good point, because I think, I think in tied in with that, where we have to be really careful, where Marx can be very subtle and uh, can undercut faith very easily, is by, and I think you already made this point about just God is still speaking, is that we evaluate by modern terms what the better morality is. Right? Yeah. We, have, we have a higher morality here because we're far more advanced and we've got much more, a much more equal society. So when, when, when Paul was saying something about, let's say, gender in the church or sexuality. Yeah. He was just he was just uneducated and naive. And I think one thing we always Or have worse, to, it was a power play. Or it was a power play, right? It was really just a Marxian power play. And there's a lot of subtle ways that can go wrong. The way we have to see this is when God spoke even to Moses, 
those truths are as true today. And we have to reorient our lives around those, not try to explain them. And, we, yeah. and you see a lot of this in the church, and it's always been the case, where when you don't like a text in, in the scripture, you go, well, that was just their tongue. Yes. That, it's, it's the way the Hebrews were backwards. They were dumb. They kept thinking of idols. They didn't understand yeah. it. But, but that's, that's a subtle way that Marx gets into our heads. I'm happy to critique injustices even, even at that time, but I have to have my categories mm -hmm. of that, justice and injustice, rewritten by what the Bible is saying, mm -hmm. rather than say, my new modern mind in this context of higher equality understood these things better than Paul. Yes. And, better, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just twist them a little bit to, to bring them into line with yeah. this new modern dialectic moment that's far more advanced than their moment. And I think what you're getting at is that you you're as much as we would prefer to maybe think like the enlightenment and, and have this absolute truth in this enlightened way yeah the reality is we are dealing with the transcendent and the eminent at the same time that's right uh you can't escape it yeah that's right um you might want to escape it <laughs> but right. you once you sort of onboard the categories of scripture right you're now married to a situation where the transcendent and the eminent both exist. That's right. That's and, exactly the, and that the transcendent God takes on flesh right. and lives with us right. eminent people, right? right? And that's is right. restoring that's eminence. Right. That's right. Uh, that, that's a different, that's, that's, the, that's the Edwardian story. That's right. Right. Yeah, that's that's the different sort of uh, post-millennialism there. That yeah. there you, you can't just escape it. Right. Um, right. and, and you can't, and the other mistake I think they make in the enlightenment and in this period too, is that you push everything into the transcendent, right? You just do yeah. Schleiermacher. Yeah. Right. Right. And right. it's like, no, 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 no. That's, that's Gnosticism, right? right. That's another that. set of problems. Right. So I, again, you can, you can kind of see Hegel and Marx and Kant and we'll see Freud, we'll see Nietzsche. They're all trying to figure out what's wrong with us. That's right. That's right. And, but they all want to just play in this earthly sandbox That's right. because That's they right. don't think they know how to get there. But they, but they don't want nihilism. But they don't they, want they nihilism. They don't want to say there's nothing there, but they don't want to say it's transcendent. So they're, they've built this dialectic and this materialism between those two walls. They don't yes. want to say there's no meaning, but they don't want to say there's absolute meaning. So how can there be progressive meaning, hidden meaning, yeah. meaning that evolves anything but yeah. those two opinions? And, exactly. and I think that's a helpful framework, and that's a good point, because then when we look at our Christian faith, we can see that what they're really struggling to do is finding God without God. They want all the benefits of God. They want, yeah. they want all the benefits of Augustine, where you can have progress and morality and, and Pauline struggle for the good. They just don't want anybody to define good. Yeah. They don't want good to be absolute. They want it to be entirely contained inside of culture and time. Um, and we have to be able to call them out on that. And we have to not be sucked into trying to use our time frame to be the time frame that defines those things, which I think Marx is asking yeah. us, or at least expecting us to do. Yeah, no, that's true. So I think as we move on, we need to look at some of the other players uh, in this, yeah, like Freud right. and Nietzsche. Uh, and, then, and the critical school, and how that develops. And then move into the Frankfurt School yeah. and, and the critical, how this gets used. Because really, I think in the, in the second half, of the, after World War II, the Marx that's used is going to be that more young Hegelian right. Marx, or at least the the method of later Marx to apply it to other systems. Although yeah. there were people beating up capitalism sure, back then sure, as sure, well, sure, sure. but the you know it's a little hard to be the Frankfurt School and beat up uh, capitalism and have your investments keeping your institution. <laughs> right, right, so right. that it, yeah, you can't be Deutschke and make the long march through the institutions if you don't like the institutions, right? So at some point, yeah, unless it's yeah. some sort of Robin Hood thing, right? <laughs> I don't know, but anyway, so that's what we'll pick up okay. on the next one. Fabulous, thank you, Dr. Draper. <laughs>